You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy One Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jaffrey. And this is Zeba Hassan. How are you, my dearest Uzma? I am doing great. Lots of education this week, like at Podcast Movement. What I feel like I'm back. So I, I feel like I'm back at school, and um, yeah, and the beauty is when notes. you super taking notes. Well, Osma's taking notes. I'm sending her one or two liner um, texts because that's, <laughs> she's that, sending me screenshots. I'm sending you screenshots because I'm like she she can add that to our notes. No, I love that Osma's like we're obviously very different um, in our approaches to things, uh, and so I'm always like, okay, this is a good idea. Let's do this. Um, we always want to make sure that we're bringing you the right content. Um, and so we are attending uh, the virtual um, podcast uh, conference right now. And um, I think it was supposed to be in Dallas this year, but because of COVID, we're able to do it virtually. And I have to tell you, like, it's so fun to be able to kind of be with people that are that know um, what you're going through and to be able to provide you some guidance um, to kind of help you through some of the obviously questions we're, we're growing and learning uh, along the way. So I am very much um, getting inspired. So but what about you? Did you really um, find anything useful or interesting? I mean, what I'm finding is that it's kind of like life lessons, right? The power mm-hmm. of asking. Because what's the worst that can happen if you ask for what you want, you know, Um, just say it uh, and put it out into the universe, obviously make du'a for it, Mm -hmm. and then ask the human being who is the vessel of God, you know, to help you reach whatever goal it is, because then you can, you know, if you're so afraid of hearing no, and you're so afraid of rejection, you're going to completely miss out on the power of all the yeses. Right. And I think that that's really, really important. And there's so much potential in the unknown. And if you never take a risk, you're never going to know. And I feel so, sorry for you. Yeah. So we have um, a quote in the basketball world, you miss 100% of the shots you do not take. So take the, take shot. the shot, guys. So Uzma, what is our soapbox for this week? So this week, not American news, but in France, a teacher, I believe a college teacher, was decapitated uh, by an 18-year-old man Hmm. um, 10 days after President Macron, I think I'm, I want to say Macaroon, but I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it, (laughs) President Macron of France said, hey, we have this internal threat of Islamic, Islamist terrorism in our midst and we need to expunge it. Now, I don't know what the French word for expunge is, but the translation was the Muslim internal Islamist French threat needs to be expunged. 10 days later, this teacher uh, presents, I believe it was the old Charlie Hebdo cartoons about Mm -hmm. um, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And there was a lot of outcry and an 18 year old man showed up and cut his head off murdered him in cold blood. Well, so now the president of France has this um, sweeping raids of masajid, masjids, houses of worship, um, and Muslim aid organizations primarily, kind of like what America did post 9-11, right? Um, And they took in 200 men, 180 Muslim men now are facing um, trial for having terrorist uh, ties and they're going to be deported. These are all people who immigrated to France at some point. I don't know how many are naturalized citizens. The 18 year old who actually murdered uh, Mr. Maddie, the teacher, or Mati, 
I don't know how you pronounce it. Rest in peace. Um, he is uh, from Chechnya and migrated to France as a child. No record, not on any French anti-terrorism radar, but magically shows up 10 days after the president says there's an internal Islamist threat. I'm not so sure, but I'm waiting for Kiefer Sutherland to suddenly show up and explain what's really going on to everybody. My soapbox is to go back and watch more 24 because films often do mirror reality. If that's not your flavor, then any Star Wars movie and any Harry Potter movie is going to try to get you to pay attention to the ways uh, that power works. And maybe I sound like the Muslim version of QAnon here. It is very possible. <laughs> but I think it's uh, important to pay attention to the series of events and the way that they happen. Because as Muslim Americans, we know that after 9-11 happened and the Patriot Act was passed, these same kind of raids happen. And these mass deportations happen to hmm, our favorite prison in the world, Guantanamo. Um, where we still have a handful of people there without charges and held for an indefinite amount of time because apparently it's legal to do that. Um, so get your ballots out and choose a party that's more likely to pay attention to J.K. Rowling and George Lucas and not collectively punish an entire community because of the acts of a few. That's our soapbox for today. Today, we've been kind of talking about this particular topic um, behind closed doors over text, kind of chit-chatting about it um, and came to realize that we actually fundamentally think about this very differently. Um, and I just want to say right now, we are not Islamic scholars. We're not trying to tell you this is what Islam is trying to say, but what we are going to tell you is based on our own personal belief systems, how we we actually feel um, individually as individuals about abortion. Um, and, and we will touch a little bit about Roe versus Wade. So if you do have kids in the room and that you don't necessarily want them to um, hear this, we respect all of your personal family decisions. You need to do, go take them out of the room if you need to. But the reality of the situation is it is a taboo topic that we don't necessarily talk about in the Islamic um, realm. And we are giving you our own individual American Muslim mom perspectives on abortion. And the one thing I wanted to say is it's not necessarily our differences that can divide us, but it's our judgments about each other that do. And so what Usma and I are going to do today is talk about our differences, because we do have them, but we are mm -hmm. not going to judge each other because Mommy Well Muslim is a judge-free zone, and we really want to make it a safe space for people to talk about their um, issues and their thought processes. And, you know, it's Hassan versus Joffrey on Roe versus Wade today. So excited. And I totally believe this is a continuation of our women's health series because this is a very important women's health topic. And many Muslim women in the community either are compelled to have an abortion for medical reasons uh, or it's something they choose to do and they choose not to share because they probably don't have the safe spaces to go in order to share it. So we're going to talk about it. Um, even though I'm not going to ask you personally if you've um, had one. No, the answer I've would never be had no. one. <laughs> yeah, I've never had one, but because I've been involved in abortions, I think it's important for me to talk about it. Okay. So, I I'm definitely appreciate it. So you, you're psyched and I'm just kind of like, oh my Lord. Um, well, let's see where <laughs> this <nervous>. goes. <laughs> 
<laughs> but why don't we tell the audience why this conversation started in the first place? So it's a really funny thing in my house. You know, my husband and I, you know, we very openly are, we're self-described moderist. Um, so we err on the side, literally in the central and, and probably a little bit towards the right of center. That's the truth of it. Um, my daughter is very far left leaning and my son is Alex P. Keaton. Okay. And, For and people who don't know who Alex P. Keaton is, he we is, have that generation. Here. We do have that generation and he is like super conservative, um, obviously anti-Trump conservative, but he's like, you know, he's very much about like, conservative issues and conservative rights. And, you know, and I love the fact that we have provided, and I'm going to pat myself on the back, a safe space for all of my kids to have different opinions um, and be able to live in the same house. And we do, but what it does do is it fosters some heated debates, you know, sometimes heated, sometimes not so heated. Um, and this was in um, relation to a, a particular story that my daughter put on Instagram about, uh, I, I can't tell you exactly what it was about, but it was essentially like men have no right at all to female um, bodies. And unless you have a vagina, then you need to keep your mouth shut. She posted this. And again, I as long as it's not vulgar or going against people, I'm a like she has a right to her opinion, but if you are going to have a strong opinion, you have to know that people are going to ask you about it and question you about it. And her brother brought it up and he's like, Zara, like, so let's say I'm in a relationship and I'm married and my wife decides to get an abortion, but it's my baby as well. So you're going to say, I don't have a right. And she decides, I just don't want it because it's just not convenient for me. She's a right to go get the abortion without consulting me. And, um, you know, that did make her pause. I do have to say she's 14. They're still figuring out, you know, that life mm -hmm. is shades of gray. That's the truth of it. And she was like, well, I would imagine that if it's her body, she would have a right to it. And of course that made him mm -hmm. pretty angry and, and hence started this conversation about um, abortion. And she straight up asked mm -hmm. me like, mama, what do you think about it? And are you pro-choice or pro-life or what it is? And, and I, you know, we'd never really had such a definitive conversation about it. I'm like, listen, I believe in um, anti-government involvement. So I am pro-choice um, from the government perspective, meaning I don't think they should be involved in anything personal or in matters of um, your relationship to God, for instance. So I am pro-choice, <clears throat> pro-gay rights, pro all of that, um, because I believe that that's an individual uh, relationship to your b supreme being, whatever he or she may be. Um, and that's a private thing between you and God. So, but do I think the government shouldn't be involved? A hundred percent not. But am I for abortion? And my answer is no, I'm a hundred percent not yeah. for abortion. And, you know, I was just kind of relaying this conversation to Uzma and she was like, girl, I'm for abortion. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? And we need to talk about this. And can you clarify? And again, not in an angry way, but from a, a perspective of um, inquisitiveness, because I wanted to understand where she was coming from. So I'm going to let, this is kind of why this conversation started. Um, and if the two of us who have known each other for decades can feel so differently, I thought this could be potentially a good episode to talk about or not talk about, or people are going to hate us, but maybe we should shed some light, 
shed some light on this. And I, and I think I should probably clarify, I don't think anybody, regardless of what your political stance is, pro-life or pro-choice, is pro-abortion. I don't think anybody wants abortions to happen. And that is what the pro-choice movement is about, to minimize the number of women that have to face that horrible decision to have a voluntary abortion versus a medically necessary abortion, because there is a, is a di distinction. And so my experience with abortion was growing up like you did in a very Republican uh, district with a very Republican representative, you know, super conservative politically, obviously religiously. And so in high school, I was a pro-lifer. And, you know, if my parents had given me permission to go outside of an abortion clinic, I would have done it. Um, but, you know, going down the street was a problem. So that was out. Um, in any case, I was, I really strongly held to that belief. And it was really hard for me. Um, actually, I would say in medical school, it was a little bit easy, but I know that I had um, like a conscientious crisis because I was uh, trained in a Catholic hospital where mm -hmm. we were not allowed to offer even medically what I consider medically necessary abortions, um, just scientifically. Um, and we were not allowed to offer any kind of birth control. Hmm. It was, you couldn't mention it. Um, once the baby was delivered, it was absolutely not allowed. Even when women asked you, you could not talk about it. Um, and because we were contracted students at the hospital, we couldn't say anything. So this is me engaged, like desperately trying to figure out what I'm going to do for my family planning once I get married in a few months and not able to get the information where I probably should have. So then I start residency. I'm pregnant with my first one. I remember it was my first trimester. I was because hiding you didn't it. Have, I was very... You didn't have that conversation about birth control apparently, right? No, obviously did not have a conversation <laughs> about birth control with my husband. Well, I guess sort of, because he was like, what do you think about kids? I was like, I like them. You know, and I like, them in theory, them? But, like, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah, in about theory, them. <laughs> theoretically, I like them. No, I just, uh, you know, I never thought that kids were convenient, you know, they're always going to disrupt something at some point, right? So that was part of our family planning stuff. So anyway, I get pregnant and I'm talking to one of my teachers who was a nurse practitioner, uh, born Christian, converted to Judaism. And I had this uh, crisis of conscience again, where somebody had approached me asking me to get help having an abortion. And I was like, I'm a Muslim. I, I don't, I don't think I believe in this. I don't know what to do. And so we kind of talked about the spiritual stuff, what I knew, what she knew, and then we kind of looked up stuff together. And then she said to me at that moment, and I have carried this with me my whole life, and I thank Nona Siegel for this, women should be able to have the children that they want. And I'm going to repeat it again because it took me a few times hearing it and over the years saying it again and again whenever I encountered a pregnant woman women should be able to have the children that they want. And what she explained to me was that that is a holy concept in and of itself. It's a holy right given to us, you know. Did Mary necessarily want to have Isa al-Hisram? Maybe not, you know, but she was told she was going to have it and she carried it. Is that an example of women having to carry to term things that they don't want? I don't know. Maybe she actually believed in the promise of Allah that she was having this miraculous child and that was okay. But for the rest of us who are not immaculately impregnated, you know, we have situations where the, this particular situation where I had was, you know, a college athlete who's on her parents' insurance 
And she hasn't had a period in six months. Mm. And I'm like, girl, you know, oh, but I'm not sexually active. And I'm like, well, unless you're the Virgin Mary, we need to do a pregnancy test, which she had done her research. And she was like, you can't do a urine pregnancy test because it's going to show up on my parents' bill on insurance and they're going to know. So I need something else. And, you know, she's a very athletic build person. I said, okay, the only thing I can do is maybe do an ultrasound. Let's go in the back and do an ultrasound. As soon as that baby girl lay down, I was like, you are halfway through your pregnancy. Oh my goodness. You know? And there's measurements we can do. And we, we did them, but I turned on that ultrasound and that, that baby was there, but she was probably more around 22 weeks. Oh my God. Um, and so in most states, it's illegal to have, that would be considered a late uh, abortion. Term. Yeah, late And term finding abortion. practitioners who are willing to do that is really, really difficult. So that's why I approached Nona in the first place. Like, I don't know, she's asking me what she can do. And she wasn't saying she wanted an abortion and I wasn't offering it mm -hmm. as a Muslim until, you know, I went back with Nona, I had the conversation, I found out who the late um preterm uh, abortion doctors were in our locale, took it back to this little girl. And I, I shared it with her because, I mean, she had a lot writing on this. Her parents' trust and what she thought was love, which is really, really unfortunate. And I'm going to let you talk about that a mm -hmm. little bit more. Um, she had a scholarship writing on it. She had her future writing on it. Um, and then she hadn't told anybody. She was completely alone in this decision. And she had trusted me with this information. So it was crises like that that made me understand what women should have the children that they want means. And it does not mean that we're pro-abortion because nobody is. Uh, so let, let's talk about, first of all, the fact that you had to even have this conversation with this young girl, I really feel badly for you and for her because the mm -hmm. truth of the matter is had her, I feel, again, had her mom had a frank discussion with her, perhaps this wouldn't have happened to begin with. And I'm a big believer in, you know, the truth of the matter is you got to talk to your kids about premarital sex. We can't be in denial. There are many, many, many Muslim children. And I'm going to speak from the sense of Muslim children because, um, you know, that's my paradigm, are doing this. Whether you agree with it or not so in being Up to fifty percent of Muslim kids admit to having admit it. Sex. and that's By the admitting time they're thirteen admit yeah, it admitting those admitting who admit it. It. and there are a lot of people that do not um and I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're good or bad or what are the parents did that's between you but what I am going to say is you cannot be in denial you cannot put your head in the sand you do have to have frank conversations with your children about um, contraception what's what is out there for them and and what are the consequences if you are going to have sex you are going to get the pregnancy let alone std sexual transmitted disease is a natural consequence of having sex even if you are protected meaning condoms fail birth trust me two out of my four kids birth control fails and that's a natural <laughs> consequence so if your children are going to be having sex getting pregnant is a natural consequence. So I, my belief system is 
get get it at the front end start talking to them start having mm -hmm. frank conversations with them we we have multiple resources about sex and islam in different places where our kids can go you know take them once my daughter got her period which she's going to be mortified i'm sharing i took her to the gynecologist and i'm like this is where we're going to have this is what's going to happen do i think she's going to do it i pray to god she doesn't but you need to be informed when my son started having you know those types of conversations with me we had a very frank conversation about this like it's not even about the stds it's about having a responsibility for life or making a choice like abortion that will live with you on some levels for life so this is why for me like planned parenthood and these types of things like i feel are huge in our communities and i know it's not a popular thing to say but they only like two to three percent of their offerings are abortion related the rest is about sexual um teaching your kids about sexual health about providing um care for kids that don't necessarily have insurance so i'm about getting to people from the beginning and not being in denial that your children are sneaking out of the house and doing what they need to do and if you i feel like uh, the statistics i'm looking up the statistics right now but in um if we are open about birth control there's a i think it's over 50 percent of people and in, in advocating abstinence and talking to them about birth control too they're huge in the decline for unplanned pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases so i am anti-abortion at the six month because I'm thinking her mom should have been taught or dad should have been talking to her about how to prevent this, not assuming her daughter isn't going to have sex. And as Muslim moms, obviously we promote abstinence only, um, like a lot of other faiths do. And we explain to our kids that we don't have sex outside of the context of marriage, but that if it happens, we will still love you regardless. Mm -hmm. And we will be here to support you as you face the natural the consequences. consequences of sex outside of marriage. And I think that's completely opposite of the way that we grew up. Because can you imagine what would have happened to us, Seba, if we had come home pregnant? Oh my God, girl. We would not be here today. No. Let's just say that. Like, we would not be here today. No, 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 no. Um, I think uh, there's two points that I do want to mention. Um, you're talking about having these conversations early with teens, 100,000%, yes. And if you're having difficulty having these conversations with your teens, you can go back and you can read our article on talking to teens about sex, uh, pre-adolescents, tweens mm -hmm. about sex in Halal Parenting Magazine. I believe we did it sometime this summer. Yeah. Our, uh, that issue was about um, how to talk to your kids about difficult subjects. And then uh, we've talked on multiple episodes about how to talk to your kids about sex. However, the Halal Sexpert is offering a course for parents. Um, and I believe it's a few weeks long on how to talk to your kids about sex. And, you know, kids are going to respond to facts and pop culture. And I don't know, I'm hoping she can make some of the pop culture because I'm pretty sure Zeba and I did not make this conversation cool with our kids. Mm -mm. I was trying to instill the fear of God in them. And for me, part of sex education is showing them this is the birthing process. You want to mm -hmm. go through this? Um, and so I have turned them all off uh, from having sex because they don't want to face that natural consequence. They're like, we do not want to touch the opposite gender because we don't want that happening. And then the second point that I want to bring up is, okay, we talked about unwanted pregnancies as or in circumstances that may not be ideal or supportive um, for raising a child. Mm -hmm. But what if 
we have everything. We're in a relationship. We are married. Everything is good and halal. And we've got our careers. We've got kids. And we get pregnant. I don't know. Say tomorrow, Zeba, you see two blue lines. What's going to happen to you? A stable, quote unquote, you know, quote unquote, happy, quote unquote, successful woman mom now. What would you do? I would keep the baby. And I'd say, this is what God wants me to have. And apparently, first of all, it would be a miracle because I got my (laughs) husband. I would be like the virgin on multiple levels. Let's say that because part of the birth control process in Islam is for is okay with birth control, FYI. But part of that is I don't want to do that. So my husband was nice enough to take care of that situation on his own. So I think he would be shocked in chagrin um, if and that would happen. And he his money back from the urologist. But, exactly. But if it were to happen, I'd say this is what God has intended to me. And despite, you know, and it would topsy-turvy my life. I'm just going to be honest about that. Um, but I would keep the baby. This was what God wanted me to do. And I think we have a question that's saying, what is a good age to start talking to children about sex in general? It's when they're old enough to ask you, it's in, in, in certain circumstances, two, three, you, you start two. talking to them about their own body autonomy, giving them the appropriate mm-hmm. names for their um, private areas. Um, so that if something happens to them, they will come to you and talk to you and, and understanding that they have a right to their own bodies. And you start doing that at one or two. And even if you're still cleaning their butts or doing like right now I am, I'm still clean my bo- my baby's bottoms. I literally say, mama's going to clean your butt now. And I'm just letting you know, giving them the option and the right to their body is the number one thing I think parents should be te- teaching their children. And that starts the conversation. You will start noticing that we're going to get off topic, but you're going to start noticing them possibly touching themselves and doing those types of things mm-hmm. and never making them feel shameful. Like there's um, mm-hmm. bathroom behavior and there's, don't be touching your, um, we call it, but no, don't be touching your penis while you're watching a cartoon in the middle of the living room. I don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> so go to the bathroom and do that. And this is why. And then when they start asking you, you know, age appropriate answers and responses allows them the opportunity to feel safe and comfortable to come to you later. And that is what you're you're starting to develop those types of relationships with your kids early in a non-shame based way so that they can't come to you later. But as far as abortion is concerned, if I got pregnant tomorrow, I'd say you know, first of all, oh my God, I will be tired as all get out, but mm-hmm. I'll pray for a girl and say, <laughs> yeah. this is what was meant to be. But what about you? Would you do that? Yeah. I'm, I, Cause I know you, you have been scared a couple of times because we're not going to mm-hmm. talk about why, but I'm like, girl, if you're going to yeah. get scared, you're going to, you have to think about this. Like you need to get, either get fixed or get the hubby fixed or something. What would you do in a circumstance like that? Cause you have a lot going on. Yeah. And so this is where I think we um, categorically differ. And that's where if I had a pregnancy test that was positive at this point, I would choose not to carry that to term. And I wouldn't try to find out, is there something wrong? Is, you know, anything happening? I do not want to have another child. Like what I have is perfect. 
And alhamdulillah, I have more than I ever asked for because I asked Allah for one normal child. That's all I wanted. And he blessed me so many times over. And while I also would have loved to have another daughter, I do not want to physically carry another human being in my body because, you know, I have not had, I've had, alhamdulillah, great pregnancies and relatively good deliveries. I have nothing to complain about, but I'm older. I have a couple of conditions that I don't want to exacerbate by having a pregnancy, by having a child. As much as I love breastfeeding and nursing, and as much as I miss it, I do not want to do it again. That is a lot of work because you're those first two years are like on hold. I've put off my career so many times mm -hmm. because of kids and now I'm in a very happy place. It would turn everything upside down. And I uh, wouldn't feel obligated to tell my husband about it, but mm. you know, out of courtesy and love for him, I would say, I do think that we need to have this discussion, but according to like one school of thought, one Muslim school of thought, I wouldn't necessarily have to have his permission to do it. Um, and again, it goes back to what are we, we're setting up this foundation of body autonomy when our kids are two and three, but suddenly when they're adult grown women, you've lost that autonomy because of the donation of one tiny sperm cell. Like, no, I don't think that goes away. And that goes back to not only my feminist roots and feminist belief, it goes back to my core Islamic beliefs that a woman is fully capable of making these decisions for what she is and is not able to do. And while a lot of Islamic scholars say, yeah, you can do family planning and do birth control if you don't want to have more children. I think we start getting into gray areas about, okay, well, can you, once you get pregnant, say these methods have failed and you have now gotten pregnant, do you now um, have an abortion because it's not convenient for you to have a kid? It's, it is okay to do birth control, to do the family planning and decide how many children you want. But supposing, like you said, it fails, then what do you do? And I don't want to be up a creek. And so I have mentally prepared myself for when I see those two blue lines or when I see the word pregnant, I know where I'm going. And going back to Planned Parenthood, for those of you who still believe in all the malarkey, <laughs> I'm using that word on purpose. If you believe the malarkey about Planned Parenthood funds abortions, BS. I trained a lot at Planned Parenthood. I was sent there to study under the tutelage of nurse practitioners and physicians, worked at Planned Parenthood. I never once in three years saw an abortion or heard a conversation about an abortion or heard abortion offered as an option. Women who could not afford afford prenatal care were undocumented, would come there to get low-cost prenatal care. So we took care of pregnant patients. We took care of patients who were breastfeeding and said, I have no milk. And I learned over there to shoot breast milk across a room from a breast. All of my breastfeeding education started at Planned Parenthood. And then um, we did a lot of sexually transmitted infection testing and treating. Mm -hmm. Those are the three things that I learned at Planned Parenthood over three years and in my relationship with them since, we have never once talked about abortions, not even the morning after pill, which now is available over the counter. See, that's like, again, I we agree on the Planned Parenthood. I agree with you up until that point, but as a mom of three boys, including you, um, I would just not feel comfortable. I feel like once two people make it a point to decide to have a child or accidentally have a child because of the decision for their actions. And we're not talking about rape or incest or 
unwanted Mm -hmm. um, sexual advances. We're not talking about that. We're talking about two people decide to have sex, whether it's for procreation or pleasure, whatever the case may be. I feel like both people are responsible because then what happens? Like, let me ask you this. The, the, Mm -hmm. your son is in a situation. He gets somebody pregnant. She decides to keep the baby. He's also liable to provide for that child legally. So I feel like if both parties have to play a role, what if he wants the baby and she doesn't? I don't know. I I don't know how I would feel about that. I would feel like I would want my sons, being the mother of three boys, to play a role for and against. Meaning if if you knock somebody up stupid and you're not ready for it, and she wants to keep that baby, you're going to be responsible also for helping yes, her out. But I also think right. if he does that stupid and gets somebody pregnant, also stupid, because I've talked to you about birth control and mm-hmm. she decides not to, and he wants the baby, I feel like he should have a right to be like, I want that baby. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how I feel about that um, other than it just, it doesn't seem right to me. I mean, do you feel more for your son losing the opportunity to father a child? Or is that because as a potential grandma, you feel the loss of a potential opportunity to no, grandmother a child? No, I feel like, um, you know, you know me, I'm excited about being, like, I'm in my early you're, 40s. You love babies. I'm <laughs> like, I can't wait till I'm a grandma. Okay. But that's not the case. My point is, if you're stupid, and excuse my language, and we can beep that out later, and you decide to do something, <laughs> and you're responsible, like that is a natural consequence for your action. And it's mm-hmm. going to suck. We're going to help support you because as parents, we're your safety net. But with everything that I've taught you, you should one should have known better because abstinence is what we teach our kids for the record. I don't want people to think that we're not. But if you're going to do this, this is where you go. This is how you do it because I'm not going to be stupid either, right? I'm not going to be in denial. But of course, they're like, no, mama, I don't want to do this because there are how we explain it to the kids. It's one day you're going to meet that person who is going to be mm-hmm. the one. And do you want to explain to that person all the others? that you've decided, mm-hmm. like, you see what I'm saying? Like, I feel like yeah. if you feel like that's okay. That's between you and God. Cause at some point I'm no longer responsible for you, but if you don't, mm-hmm. this is what you have to do and how you keep yourself away from those situations. But if he's going to get somebody pregnant and do that anyway, you best believe I want him. And I'm saying him because this is the, the situation we're talking about to take responsibility for the action. Well, I mean, that's Islamic law, right? Like Sharia law says, you father a child, you are financially responsible for the child. So absolutely, if we're teaching Islamic values and laws in our house, that is, you know, when you face that natural consequence, now you're going to go work at McDonald's and, And you know, too bad about all the other plans you had, like you're going to clean toilets and figure out how to pay for that child. We will help to a point. But I think it's going to be important as parents, at least for myself, to, you know, land this message home. However, if she decides either not to tell him and has an abortion, tells him after the fact, or tells him I'm pregnant and I'm having an abortion, and he starts jumping, jacking, and saying, no, 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 I have a right, I have a right, boy, 
you gave up all your rights once you enter that bedroom. Yeah, I feel that way if they're not married. I, I see you're saying what you're saying, right? Like if you're going to do this and you don't have any legal rights, meaning you're not in a situation that's Islamically or legally, you know, um, binding by law, then I, I understand your point. But like, I don't, I don't know if I feel that way if they're married. If they're married, I think it's the same thing. You know, yes, we get married to people, but does that mean, you know, do we have the same for richer, for poorer, for sickness and health? No, we don't really do vows. Our vows look very different. Um, and I don't think that an unplanned pregnancy like automatically means, okay, this is something we, a decision we have to face together. A sick child is different because, you know, both parents can equally contribute in that situation. But when a woman gets pregnant and it's an unplanned pregnancy, even within the context of a marriage, it is an it's an imbalance, right? Because the majority of work is going to fall on her. She's carrying the pregnancy. She's breastfeeding the child. She's doing all the rearing. She's making the professional sacrifices. Shoot, even without a lot of unplanned pregnancies, we have 900,000 women out of work right now because they happen to have a uterus and they're the expendable, quote unquote, sex in a relationship. Um, and of course, not all of those women are in relationships. A lot of them are single moms that are unemployed because of a pandemic. But can you imagine with an unplanned pregnancy, within a marriage, I believe that the imbalance of power is such that the woman could say to my son, I'm not carrying this child. I don't care if it is yours. And, you know, standing on this side of history right now, for me, I would say 100% baby girl, you know, because what I'm teaching my kids, my sons especially, is it's her body, it's her right, and she's going to decide if you don't want her to make that decision, then take care of what you need to take care of so that that decision never comes up which is why Planned Parenthood is, exists, is to prevent unplanned pregnancies. They're not there to do abortions willy-nilly. I mean, people like that, uh, organizations like that were created in response to backstreet you know, abortions that were happening. People that we know and love have had these backstreet abortions. People that we know and love have gone overseas to the subcontinent in order to have those backstreet abortions because they had grown up hearing about them and they didn't know how to get them. And they grew up in the days where there was no birth control. So you didn't have that option. And that's why a lot of our families grew up in poverty. And I understand we don't prevent pregnancies to uh, out of fear of poverty. That is straight up haram or forbidden in Islam. We're talking about something completely different now. We have access to all of the science. We have access to everything. Um, but we have laws that we face in this country that hinder our ability to make those choices. And sometimes we have cultural baggage within our community that prevents us from having frank and open discussions and feeling safe making decisions about our bodies within the context of our religion. Does that make sense? No, I totally agree. And and, and we're sharing in our show, show notes, like actual scholarly types of institutions that have spoken about this. So again, we're just talking about these are our personal opinions. Um, and no fatawa here. No. And, and, you know, and where this particular cir circumstance, and I, as much as I love Ozma, I'm just going to agree to disagree because I don't know if I feel that, feel that way. And I, and I feel right. like, and honestly, like, you know, maybe I'm a it's hypocrite. okay if you don't. Yeah. And maybe I'm a hypocrite. Maybe if it happened to my daughter, I would feel a little bit differently. I don't know because she would mm -hmm. have more like, you know, so I do have to say I'm hypocritical in my own mental thought 
processes just because it is very hard to wrap your brain around your kids being sexually active period so if having to be faced with that like what would i do or say these are all hypothetical situations because i'm blessed that right now it's not happening it's not just black or white like so i i totally boggled her mind when i'm like i'm 100 percent pro-choice but i'm extremely anti-abortion um and i don't think in her brain she could wrap herself around it and and, and i don't judge anybody well, it's really hard because like you said we're black and white when we're that age and with experience and with time and right. with more information and knowledge we arrive at a place where we realize that you know even sharia law is not something that's like blanketed and put you know across the board on all muslims it's case by case right even when it comes to abortion, like if you are facing this decision, then you would go to a scholar that you trust. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the majority of them, are male. at least the celebrity imams, are all male. Mm -hmm. So I would highly encourage you to find a female one. And yes. if you don't know who they are, you can go back to our Islamic Scholarship Month and call, cold call those women and be they like, and they're you. great at getting back to you, by the way. And if they don't know the answers, they're going to refer you to somebody else. And, and, I, and I think if you do go and look up um, Islamic abortion, and there are, like I said, so many... Um, institutes that have given their uh, Islamic um, scholarly opinions, uh, a majority of them do say it is permissible, right? Until 40 days or up until I think it's 120 where they claim insolment. Yeah, insolment when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala breeds the soul into the fetus. So Islamically, yeah. You can have abortions. Um, so we're, we are very different than um, some of our Catholic Christian counterparts because until mm -hmm. the fetus has a soul, which in Islam is around that 120 day mark, you can have um, an abortion. So we're not talking about the legality of it. We're talking about how we personally would feel in those types of circumstances. And it sounds like Osma's like, you know, it's the woman's right. She can do what she wants. I'm more, you know, on the fence about that. And honestly, if it happened to me personally, I would just carry it to term and recognize that this is what God wants for me and, you know, figure it out from there. So you're at that camp. Yeah. We have a whole summary of the four schools of thoughts on abortion. And what we'll do is, um, in the interest of time, just put it up in our show notes so you guys can read it, as well as the sources that we gleaned them from. It's really important to understand, like you said, those gray areas, have these conversations, have these discussions. I mean, this is totally something that you guys can chai chat about or do your Skype FaceTimes with your families. And certainly, we believe that, you know, sadaqa or good deeds begin at home. Have these conversations with your kids. 120%. And I think that in having these frank and honest conversations, though uncomfortable, though we're fighting that cultural stigma that inevitably has seeped into our pores and we're desperately trying to, you know, excise them, I definitely feel like in starting by having frank conversations with your, your kids, keeping an open and honest dialogue, you know, like, my daughter was shocked and chagrined when she realized her dad and I didn't just do the deed four times, right? She was just like, are you kidding me? You're only supposed to have 
sex to have babies and I had to correct her because I want her to have a healthy relationship with sex. This is not me shaming anybody. This is just me saying from a personal perspective, everybody has to make their own educated, informed choice. Um, and, you know, I think Osman and I, we're going to end this with the, what we agree on. We do not think that the government should have any right to control what happens with and for women's bodies. I think we can at least agree on that and end on a positive note and understand that we have our differences, but we're never going to judge anybody because we cannot walk in their shoes and we don't understand where they're coming from. So inshallah, until next time, thank you everybody for joining us today. Assalamualaikum. everybody. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.